everyone. Welcome. This is episode 283 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined by the whole gang again, Ryan and Paul, back from his NFL draft uh, week off. Uh, spent a whole week talking about the draft and and how do we feel about things, Paul? We, well, we intentionally stayed away from it last week. I also lost my voice, so I couldn't have been on last week anyway. There, there you go. I could literally not have talked had you guys wanted me to talk. Um, <laughs> I was actually on As Goes Wisconsin on Thursday, and I could barely talk for that. And uh, Kristen cut my segment in half, which was which was a mercy because my voice was about to die completely. So that's good. Uh, draft was good, though. They did great. Uh, very, very solid draft. Uh, with uh, I'd quibble on a few p- picks, but they were very... High efficiency, pick good positions, seem to get good athletes and players. No complaints here. Um, uh, fantastic. We're doing a show this week. We'll recap the whole thing. I was going to ask. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, be on the lookout for that. And uh, long time coming for that NFL draft recap. And you, we had three-second video clips of guys in shorts catching passes. Very, very exciting times over in Packer land. So, yeah. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> So I think uh, you you are a new pornographers fan like I am, right? Um, they've never been high on my list, but oh, okay. I have I have listened to the entire catalog. All right, so I saw them last night uh, at Dahlia Hall in Chicago, and so there are three primary members of the mm-hmm. pornographers. There's AC Newman, uh, Nico Case, and and Dan Bajar. I don't actually know how to pronounce his last name. I've only read it, uh, much like when I watch football games without the sound on. <laughs> um, Last week, or yesterday was the first time I've ever seen them without Dan Bajar, who is, I think, consensus the worst new pornographer member who is of any. Uh, like, <laughs> he is most, the worst pornographer. Most he is. Most of the good songs are the other two. He does have a couple good ones, uh, but they played his couple good ones without him, which I didn't think they would do. Interesting. So it was like a perfect new pornographer show. Like, no Dan Bajar nonsense songs, uh, and they pulled off his stuff really well. So. Uh, if you can see this tour of them, I would highly recommend it. They were outstanding. Interesting. And yeah, if you that do is. Like Dan Bajar, sorry, but you're wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Bands often will not do that specifically. They will. Yeah. They will shelve uh, members' material in that situation, and so it must not be. It, it must be an amicable situation, not a it must be. I fraught. guess or or. Or the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Or they're taunting. But I probably amicable is the answer. But uh, uh, it, like that's the perfect mix for their songs uh, is to have his excluded. So just very, very well done. Excellent show. That's awesome. All. I'm done. Glad, glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, and good to have you back. Uh, it was not a good week for the Brewers, but we'll get to that in a minute. But first, uh, before we get to that, uh, reminder uh, that we do give you question priority over at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate two bucks a month gets you question priority both here and on reporting as eligible five bucks gets you that question priority plus the additional exclusive content, including the minor league extra uh, with Ryan. So uh, Ryan, a new episode dropped this past week, right? Yeah. And it was a, an interesting one. It was a good one. We, I, I threw in a little Churio mention at the beginning because he wasn't on the rundown at all. And I'm like, well, we have to mention Jackson Churio, at least the fact that <laughs> he's the number one prospect in baseball by some accounts at this point. So, uh, but really what we did is we pulled out a bunch of new guys to pay attention to. There were a lot of questions about some new guys, uh, some new guys uh, that are just kind of breaking onto the scene from Latin America from the last couple uh well, I guess the two January 15th classes ago and three January 15th classes ago, 
not this year yet. Those guys, you're not going to hear anything about them this year. But uh, yeah, so we, we talked about that stuff and took some kind of off the radar pitching questions. We talked about uh, Kurt's guy, uh, Tyler Wozner. So we talked a little bit about him and just generally kind of uh, uh, jumped around a little bit on that stuff. And I don't know if you caught it today, but Jacob Mizorowski is now looking like the guy that was uh, instantly when the Brewers signed him last and he, he started throwing an in instructs last fall. Um, the word I, everybody had was like, oh, this guy's one of the best pitching prospects in the minor leagues. Like he has some of the best stuff out there. He's just gonna have to learn to control it. And he seems to be learning how to control it. So we're going to need to see him at a higher level than low a ball. But uh, I, I think Kurt City had a 67 percent whiff rate today in a, a in a tweet. That's yeah, good. like that's mind-bogglingly good that's if if guys are swinging at two-thirds of the pitches swinging and missing at two-thirds of the pitches that they swing at for a guy that's um yeah that's just silly time so we'll have to see him at higher level but that is definitely something we were joking about it because i don't know if you guys listened to it yet we were recording during that game when we started the brewers were up four nothing when we finished the brewers were down four to nine so <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, at least people can listen to this and get happy. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, not a high point in the week. Uh, but let's talk about that. So I, I think it's fair to call it a, a week from hell, which is just about every road trip out to, to Colorado and West Coast road trip seems to be for the Brewers. Uh, the first one of the year, notwithstanding, it's it's a good thing that they went seven and three on their first West Coast road trip because they did not do that here uh salvaged a win on sunday uh thankfully so we can be a little bit more cheerier and and clear-headed as we talk about this but i guess thankfully the entire nl central had similar weeks uh of, of terribleness the, the pirates lost seven in a row the cardinals lost eight in a row before salvaging a win on sunday uh cubs even lost three in a row at one point during the week if you, if you caught the last 10 column about midweek last week in the NL Central, it was <laughs> it, it was, was a awesome. pity. <laughs> it was it was awesome in in all the wrong ways. Uh, so it just a rough week overall for the division. So I guess before we get into uh, the unpleasantness that was the Brewers' week, uh, specifically the Coors Field series, <laughs> I guess just generally with the division at all, was this uh, Paul? Let's start with you. A little bit fluky for the division that everybody was losing all at the same time. Or is it sort of confirming our suspicions that everyone so, in this is, is kind of crummy? <laughs> short answer is it's fluky whenever anybody, whenever a whole group of X does all the same thing together. Uh, but on the other hand, it's more likely to happen in a division like the NL Central, which is not a good division, <laughs> no matter how you want to slice it. Um, and uh, the the Cardinals especially are, are I think... Um, we, I think we can we can't write them off yet. We're at uh we're at 37 35 games so far and as we mentioned at the start of the season 42 games before things kind of flipped to uh, current season being more projective but um it's it's not a good division. They're going to have losing streaks simultaneously with some regularity and it happened and it'll probably happen again later too. So uh yeah, I think it is more reflective of the division itself than it is really fluky it's fluky and that it happened now but it's not fluky that it happened it, it'll probably happen multiple times this season so yeah it's a bad division and bad divisions do that sometimes with regularity that's that's what you're looking at here they uh, they suck 
So I got to push back a little bit. I don't think it's a bad division. I think it's a mediocre division. Like bad division is the AL Central. Like that's a really bad division. Uh, so I agree they are a bad division, but there could be more than one bad division. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like as far as like truly awful bad divisions go, I think the AL Central, the looking at where the, the Central is right now. So the NL Central, currently, if you look at all the teams, uh, they are 10 games below 500 aggregate which is bad but if you look at the run differential i'm sorry i don't have the up-to-date numbers i did this this morning we were talking about this in the group chat uh the nl central is actually plus 39 runs uh uh scored versus allowed for the year so they're you know a little bit over uh the the median mark there i think that ultimately that probably is fairly reflective of where they're going to end up just because I think there's only one bad team in this division and that's the Reds. The Reds are truly a, a really poor team. And I think then you have, they lost 17 to four today, by the way. Sure. Like oh. they're actually really bad. They just are kind of starting their ripcord rebuild that they kind of began like a couple winters ago. So they're just kind of getting going on that. But like, the Pirates and Cubs are both better. We have Pirates Cubs questions, so I'll, I'll really save this. But I think they're pretty mediocre as far as teams go. And the Cardinals aren't this bad. We know they're not this bad. Like, do we? Oh yeah. Well, are they are they a hundred and five loss team? No, they have too many good players to be a hundred and five loss team. And I think that's Ollie Marble right fired now. by Memorial Day, though. Quite maybe. possibly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and yeah, I mean, it's a really bad start. And I did just go into a whole thing like one of uh, my only lemonade actually was asking me about this on Twitter today. And uh, I was pointing out, okay, so to get to 90 wins for the Cardinals at this point, they need to go 79 and 48, which is a 622 winning percentage. That's a hundred win, 101 win pace for them to get to 90 wins. They have to play like a, you know, the best team in baseball, basically for the rest of the way. Um, Last year, they won 93. And their three best hitters are now 35, 32, and retired. And their three best starters are 34, 41, and a Met. So, like, they've got their work cut out for them here. Like, they were they were not a great team last year. They were fine. They were a 93-win team and legitimately. But they weren't, you know, like a, a juggernaut. They weren't a 100-plus win team. And they lost some significant pieces of that. And they're also old. Like their best players are old, and that is can catch up with teams in a real hurry. The the getting That's why old. I think we shouldn't assume they're not terrible because it does sometimes catch up with you in a hurry and just fall off a cliff. They might have happened. It's possible. Yeah, they're also minus nineteen in the run differential. So like eleven and twenty four is catastrophically horribly. Like I said, it's like a hundred plus loss pace, like hundred and ten. It's a really bad pace. I don't know the exact math on it, but it's a really bad pace. But minus 19 run differential, that's like a, a team that's going to finish like with 75 wins. You know, it's that's bad. And it's you would be remarkable for the Cardinals because they don't do that. Um, and you can't imagine that they would actually end up doing that this year. It would. It seems like they'll they'll have to make moves to to straighten this out. But I, I don't think they're terrible. Like the Cardinals, I just I can't. <laughs> I can't buy that they're actually legitimately like a hundred loss team terrible. I think that's pushing it, but like <laughs> mediocrely bad. Yeah, I can, I can see it. 
never assume the horror movie villain is dead. That's yes. just my <laughs> Cardinals line of thinking. But man, it, it's just hard to watch them too because I, I flipped on just out of morbid curiosity the Tigers-Cardinals game on Saturday and Bush Stadium was like a morgue. It was morose in there. The loudest cheer came from when the freaking squirrel ran on the field. Yeah. That's the only thing that got the crowd into it and they went back to losing. It, it The vibes are not good there and it 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 something's going to turn around. I can't wait for them to like go crawling back to Brian Schilt or something like that and and see what's going on. <laughs> I like that you rubbernecked at the Cardinals uh disaster. Like that's fun. <laughs> yeah. What am I going to do when the Brewers pl- are playing like West Coast games? Granted that the Saturday night game wasn't too late, but you know, I had to kill a Saturday somehow. Yep. You know what? You know what I've been doing lately is with the Brewers on the West Coast, I've been tuning into minor league games and uh, yeah. watching because you can do that right on the I don't know if you guys all know this if you have MLB TV you can flip mm-hmm. to any of the minor league games that happen to be being broadcast uh, I was watching the Shuckers the other night waiting for the Brewers to start I think on Friday night and uh, nice. saw some Jackson Churio uh, wonderfulness I mean he just hit singles but it still it was watching Jackson Churio play and it was fun cool to see that live yeah yeah totally I've been watching a lot of uh, pirates too just to kind of get a feel for uh, how they actually are and uh granted we talked about losing seven in a row but that pirates Rays series was just still a lot of fun to watch because both of those teams run like mad this year so like base runners were flying everywhere and, and it, it was actually fun to watch but um i guess let's let's turn to some patreon questions uh to start the week we'll start with brad westness uh, on the heels of a not so great week for the Brewers, asking Ryan, <laughs> "Can we burn the Molina ball again?" Um, no. Okay, for a couple of reasons here. First off, it didn't work last time. Famously, did not work. The Brewers were eliminated in four games. Uh, you know, they won one game after that point when we burned the Molina ball uh, to end that season. So yes. no, it did not work. And two, uh, no, if we get a baseball again we're definitely taking and sending it to Meredith Wills. So that will, that is <laughs> we are a pro Meredith Wills podcast. Good call. We are so doing that. We we encourage listeners if you get a ball and you for some reason don't want to keep it, um send it to Meredith and she will yeah. do good things with it. Um for those that don't know Meredith Wills is a independent researcher and she has been tracking the baseballs and she is the reason we know as much as we do about what's going on inside the baseball because they go and they take them apart and they subject it to rigorous scientific testing. So send the ball to Meredith Wills. It's not hard to find baseball astrophysicist on Twitter. So that's how you know that you got the right one. Yep. So, yeah, uh, I'm just going to say that, you know, the fact that the Brewers didn't make the playoffs last year is also probably the Molina ball's fault just because of how that brave series played out and, and everything that followed. So yeah, not going to blow up the ball again, but uh, before we get to what else is wrong with the brewers, let's just hop over to mountain doom 98. Who's asking uh, Paul, are the pirates legit? Uh, I don't think so. They're not terrible. I thought they'd be worse than they are. Um, there's still some noise in here, but I, th- I think they're probably like a 500-ish team, you know, plus or minus five, which is kind of what the Brewers are. <laughs> um, right. So that's the amount of legit I would guess I'd give them. So um, 
not for a for a normal division. I don't think so. But for this one, sure. Yeah, they're legit. They are, they're contenders, and if they can hover around where they are, like run differential wise, then yeah, they'll be fine. They they have like the rest of the central tanked hardcore lately, <laughs> but that hardly differentiates them from everybody else in the division. So uh, like I think they're decent. Uh, they some injury problems, but like their their offense is nah. It's got some highlights. Their pitching is mad. They're kind of a mad team, but you know sometimes that works out. And if they get a couple of like halfway decent call up boosts later, that can also put them over the top. So I, I don't, I don't think that they're like any kind of dominant team lying in wait. But they're like averagey, which gives you a shot. Yeah, I mean they're going to have to see what they survive in terms of injuries. Like obviously the yeah uh, the O'Neill Cruz thing is hurting them. That's killer. They're starting Mark Matthias in the. They infield. are, yeah, they are. So they're they're gonna have to see how they come out of all of that. Their pitching is good. I don't know what they have for depth behind this though, and I don't know if you can anticipate necessarily all of the guys who have been good staying good for the rest of the season. Like that seems like it's maybe asking too much to uh, to do there, but it's. Uh... You also might get a little bit of a, a pop from like Cabrian Hayes. I know offense isn't his calling card, but he's sucked something awful so far. So th- there's some uh, there's some room to reverse bounce back for a couple guys at least. Yeah, but there's also like Connor Joe and his 150 OPS plus, and uh, <laughs> you know like Rodolfo Castro and his 118. Um, Those are lower since we checked last week. They are way. lower. Jack Swinski <laughs> and his 152. Like, yeah, they're yeah. they're coming. Well, and they lost a bunch this week, so they're coming back to earth on some of those things. And they do legitimately have holes in their Austin Hedges, anybody? Like an 11 OPS plus? 11. He's oh. not. He, he is listed as their starter, but Jason DeLay has played more than he has and is quite a bit better with the bat. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and it just like... Mitch Keller seems to have had a legitimate breakout here. I don't know who's taking Vince Velasquez. He just hit the IL. Who's taking his spot? I don't know. Um, Johan Oviedo's ERA is now up over almost to six. Rich Hill is, you know, 43. Like, yeah, they've. I, I yeah, I don't buy. I, I think they're still kind of, kind of mid to high 70s win team. And I would put the Brewers substantially ahead of that and for the record so would Pakoda right now Pakoda has the Brewers at 87 coming into Sunday Pakoda has the Brewers at 87.1 wins they have the Cubs at 78.4 only 78.4 huh I, I know we'll probably talk about the holes in the Cubs numbers but I'm I'm surprised it's that low uh, I think the reference on them is 53 percent to make the playoffs right now so and then they have the Cardinals at 76.8 and the pirates at 76.3 um that feels all like i totally am right on board with chicago and pittsburgh uh i would it's hard to imagine the cardinals being i just until we see it until we see the cardinals actually finish below 500 when's the last time that happened wasn't joe tory their manager (laughs) probably i i just i feel like they're not playing like normal cardinal baseball and and maybe that is all broken at this point that's my thing with them maybe yeah it's possible but if you if you then flip over to the fan graphs odds uh for the for the projected rest of the year wins i mean oh and i should mention you know the brewers oh they were at 87 wins in that one uh fan graphs is always lower than uh pakota is on the yeah. brewers uh they have the brewers at 84 and a half wins 
but they have them winning the division by six games over the Cardinals at 78.7. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Yeah, like this is they have the Brewers substantially. So they have the Brewers at about 70 percent or sorry, 60 percent to make the playoffs and uh, to clinch a buy 10 <laughs> percent. It's insane. I, that's so where there's two buys available and they just do not think the the Brewers or anybody in the Central is going to going to get trash there. division. So, yeah, I mean, they think the division is and the, the projection systems think the the uh, the division is trash. So I should probably adjust my thinking on that. I just. I think it's more mediocre than just because, again, I think there are there's one good ish team in the Brewers. And I say ish there for a reason. Mm. And then you've got like three mediocre sort of middling teams in the Cardinals, the Pirates and the Cubs. And then one bad team in the Reds. So like there are divisions that have like three bad teams. So, you know, we're not in that situation. All right. I, I mentioned thinking the Pirates are at least fun, and My Only Lemonade has a question here about the Pirates while we're on the topic, saying the Pittsburgh Pirates currently lead MLB in stolen bases with 45, yeah, they do. which seems to be a big reason for their surprise start. The Brewers are currently tied for 17th with only 21. Given their offensive struggles, shouldn't the Brewers take advantage of their team's speed, mm-hmm. or is it the lack of stolen bases simply due to their low team OBP? Paul, your thoughts on that one? Uh, I feel like it's it's mostly... So their OBP, I'm, I don't have it in front of me. I was trying to pull it up quickly. My guess is it's not much worse than Pittsburgh's is. And that there is definitely an aggressiveness thing. The thing with the Brewers is they have good team speed, but they also have a couple guys who are super slow. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, and those guys tend to be on base. <laughs> like Rowdy is not going to steal a whole bunch of bases. And he gets on base quite a bit, aside from the home runs. So I, I think a lot of the really fast brewers just are the low OBP guys. And that's probably the driving force here. It's I mean, it's not like they've been non-aggressive on the base pass. Like when fast guys get on, the brewers steal pretty much every time. It's just those those guys aren't the guys getting on base for the most part. That's That's your big problem here. That's the big split, I think. Well, and just to your point, you were asking about on-base percentage. I have it up. Uh, Pittsburgh yeah. is at... 10th in baseball at 329. This is all coming into today, by the way. And then the Brewers are at 317, which is okay. 19th. So the Pirates are modestly above and the Brewers are modestly below average in yeah. terms of that. What's interesting, though, is Pittsburgh base running runs added on fan graphs. They have a very good base running uh, metric here. And uh, they have Pittsburgh at eighth. So they lead baseball in um in stolen bases but they're only eighth in base running runs which tells you they're running themselves into some outs here right like they're they're making some mistakes yeah. whereas um you know the rays are number one they're 6.7 base running runs um above average here and that's compared with the pirates 2.6 so they've added about five more runs on the bases and they've only stolen 32 i don't have the caught stealing numbers handy but like and that's that's going to be my answer here is that the Brewers, on the other hand, they're at negative point six. So they're Oof, just yeah. below what's well, they're 19th. So they're not, you know, remarkably a below average, but they've run themselves into more outs on the bases, I think, than you would like to see. And so mm-hmm. really what they need to do is tighten that up some. They need to 
obviously you always want to see that, but you, there, there is a certain thing that goes with younger players like this in trying out to see how aggressive uh, you can be. You know, you got to kind of test yeah. it out. And especially this year with the, the new rules, I think there has been a lot of testing that out. And I think we've seen the Brewers stealing less, um, pushing it a little bit less recently. And I mean, I think some of this, too, is like Christian Yelich has not been getting on base at the rate that he generally does. And he's one of the best base runners in baseball, not necessarily from steals, though he did steal a base today. Um, yeah. But just like. Christian Yelich is a great, if you've watched him play, if you're listening to this, you've seen him run, you know Christian Yelich. Say what you want about everything else about his game right now, but like the dude is a, a remarkably good base runner. So um, I think really more than anything, they need to tighten that up and not run into as many outs, which means probably being less aggressive and pulling the reins back on some guys. And that is, you know, going to affect how many stolen bases you end up yeah. with total. The, the Pirates also clearly have a specialist that drives a lot of this no, these numbers. Uh, Juwan Bay has stolen mm-hmm. 14 bases and only been caught twice. That's most mm-hmm. of their stolen bases, a plurality. And then it is high OBP guys. It's Brian Reynolds has five and caught zero, and Jack Sawinski has five and caught one. Um, those are the leaders in the clubhouse for them, and that's the reason that they have so many. Brian Hayes kind of sucks. He's three and three. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, it, it helps if you have a guy who has 14. That will make the rest of the teams more averagey stealing. Um, you know, look quite a bit better in the aggregate. So there's that too. Particularly when it's 14 to two. Yeah. Right. Like it helps a lot. Like the yeah. Brewers' leader in stolen bases is Yelich. He's five and zero. <laughs> 14 is a lot different than five. Yeah. And but right. the Brewers and do it, have a number of fast guys, right? Like they yep. legitimately do. Right, but Terang's struggling to get on base sometimes, I guess, outside of this road trip. And then they lost Garrett Mitchell, you know, after a few weeks into the season, too. Yep. That's good. That took a big bite out of what they were doing, at least early on, with the stolen bases as well. So, all right. Uh, I guess while we're on the topic of addressing the Brewers' offensive shortcomings, <laughs> at least over the last week, uh, I don't know how you go into cores and, and only score that many runs, but hey, uh, Lucroy suitcase and Ken Makana bike in Waukesha both have offense questions. So I'm going to lump them back in here. Ryan's getting his readers on, which is uh, always a fun time for us. So Lucroy suitcase says the offense fire Connor Dawson. Uh, in reality, what's up with the offense? And then Ken Maka on a bike in Waukesha asking, can we hear Ryan say that he tried to warn us about the offense? So, <laughs> Ryan, you got your reading glasses on. Take it away. Okay. So the main thing I'm going to do here is we're going to compare this year's offense to last year's offense. Oh, goodness. Okay. So we're going to look at particularly because I, you could see that like certain numbers, this is a more offensively friendly uh, season than last year was last year was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel it's more offense friendly at the moment so um if you kind of go down the list here the brewers last year were 22nd in batting average at a 234 this year they're 18th at 240 so a little bit better in terms of uh batting average this year last year they were 13th in on base percentage uh, this year, and that was a 315. This year, they've actually gone up. They've, they're at 317, but that this year is 19th in on base percentage. So they've gotten better by two points, but have actually lost ground to the league here. 
Uh, so they're now they've gone from being slightly above in terms of on base percentage to slightly below. Um, slugging is the big thing here, though. And I guess hold on before we get into that, I want to talk about so um, their walk rate is down a little bit. They're still um, this year they're they're seventh. Uh, last year they were fourth, so they've they've fallen off a little bit. Even though they've actually they are walking more this year, it's yeah again the uh, the percentages there. Um, strikeouts was an interesting one because I think people's perception. I think that's that's changed now. I think people understand they're striking yeah. out more, but originally everybody's like, oh, they're striking out a lot less. Well, last year they were twenty third in strikeout percentage um, at twenty three point nine percent. This year, they're 24th in strikeout percentage. Um, so just you know, a little bit worse at 24.6. Uh, okay. But the big difference, and this is where I think w- my concern was, and this is what I said, is I think they were trading some, they were trading some, uh, uh, some batting at, or sorry, they're trading some power for some batting average and hopefully some on base percentage. So far, we haven't actually seen that come to fruition, right? Like nope. the on base percentage has fallen off a little bit, um, but the the slugging and the ISO they were tenth last year in slugging. They're nineteenth this year. They went from four hundred one to three eighty four. In terms of ISO, it's even more stark, and this is where it really pops because the slugging is somewhat affected by the the uh, batting average, and they have gotten better in batting average. Right. But the the isolated power last year, they were fifth in baseball with a 174. Remember that, of course, makes sense because the Brewers last year were what? Third in home runs, fourth in home runs in all of baseball. Yep. So being fifth in ISO makes perfect sense there. They're 23rd in ISO this year at 144. They have given up a lot of power, at least so far. They have sacrificed power. And they're not getting enough compensation back on the other side of things at this point to nope. make up the difference. And that's why the offense isn't as good as it was last year. Like the, the math on this isn't that hard to figure out. They they gave up some power, which is what people kept saying they wanted. We're, we're swinging for the fences too much. There's too much uh, all or nothing approach here. Well, you got what you wanted. And this is now kind of where they're at. Like their their slugging is down. Now, I think. Honestly, I think that things like Jesse Winker having no home runs right now, William yeah. Contreras just hitting his second today, yep. I think they have guys who have more power than they've shown so far, and they're going to get some of this back. They also, like, Luis Urias is going to be getting uh, playing time here, coming back, and he's going to help on this front somewhat. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you're also going to be introducing like Sal Frelick, who isn't going to be a huge power nope. source, though. I think he will be a boost to the on base percentage, which is frankly always the it's the most important thing. It is. So it has zero home runs. Yeah. Like Luke Voigt having zero home runs when he has, you know, a history of hitting home runs like you wouldn't necessarily anticipate that, though. We're, we're going to get into that more in a minute. So <laughs> we could hold off on that. But yeah, this is like. we we were kind of saying like they're trading away some power here that they have had in the past and i guess you would if joey weimer continues to get the number of plate appearances joey weimer is getting he's gonna have to start hitting for more power or they're just gonna go in a different direction there he's gonna start losing plate appearances right like that's going to have to happen yeah now that taylor's back um, yeah yeah right absolutely uh, well, 
we had a, co- a couple of Jay Google questions here. I'll just take the second one first because it is the Luke Voigt question. Yeah. Uh, Paul asking, is Luke Voigt going to stay on the roster the whole year? No. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he's not. He has no positional versatility and he's not hitting and he's 32. And while he has some history of occasional power, <laughs> sometimes during the COVID season, sometimes when he's getting... Uh, not protected because he has, as we'll, I'm sure, mention, of course, he has reversible tune splits for his whole career because he's a big weirdo. Um, but like he's an easy drop off, it doesn't cost that much. And if you're going to replace a guy for, with some offense and from AAA, he's the easy one to take off. Like you don't need to keep Luke Voigt around. Um, it's just not something that needs to happen. So, no, he's not going to be that. Like Keston here is like begging to be up in this position. Like, Oh, you got a you got a guy who's supposed to be able to hit and can't play defense at all. Like we have that at home, and uh, he, he cleared waivers and he can be he can come up anytime. So, yeah, he's uh he's the in the most tenuous position on the team, and he's an old guy who's not good at anything. So yeah, he's probably gone soon. Yeah, I mean the issue is like you're gonna need something to replace him with, and right now there isn't. You got a... that? <laughs> like exists. Well, no, Keston Hira. We've we've seen this movie with Keston Hira before. He's not okay. an upgrade on Luke Voigt. He is absolutely an upgrade on Luke Voigt. Uh, <laughs> no, not. I mean, not by comparison. Like, if what you want is somebody to hit left-handed pitching, Luke Voigt is considerably better than Keston Hira by over a hundred points of career uh, OPS. So, if you want somebody to hit left-handed pitching. It's Voight over over Hira because Hira is Voight has reverse platoon splits. Hira has insane reverse platoon splits that are just yeah. inexplicable and make no sense. So I'd settle for a guy who can hit anything at all. Um, right, but I mean the the thing here is is if you bring up Hira, he's so much yep. better against right handed uh, pitching. And I was talking about this on Twitter this week. Uh, you don't have any place for him to play against righties. You're not going to bench Rowdy for him. You're not going to bench Winker. Not at this point. You're not going to bench uh, Yelich. Like you, you can, you can do some of that. <laughs> yeah, but you, but the, really, no, no, nothing still, that you just said is actually something that should be written in stone at all. Most of those guys could probably use some time on the bench. They're all Rowdy? bad at offense. Not Rowdy. The other ones though. Well, Winker, Winker, Winker yes. hasn't. Yeah, Winker is the, the issue with Winker. Like he has not started to hit for power yet, and that's concerning until we like actually see it. His his Statcast numbers. I was looking at those this week are not great. Um, the problem is, is that we've seen this over and over from Hira. He always hits the hell out of the ball in AAA. He always does. Yeah, he does. And then well, he, he comes up to the big leagues and is really mediocre since 2019. So last year he struck out a lot. But he was actually not bad. He was he was okay. He had a one fifteen OPS plus. That he was be, he was okay that. in weird playing time situation. I I object to the notion that it's important to keep Luke Voigt around against lefties against his weak platoon side uh, because that is not making any difference at all to their wins and losses. And if here if Keston still sucks against opposite side pitching, which he probably will because he's a Brewer. Uh, I don't care. He, he can still play against righties better, and that's enough. Like nobody's good against lefties. Luke Voigt is not good against lefties. Get him off the team. He is not useful at all. Keston might be. He was last year against the aggregate. So do do that. I don't need that guy hanging around. He's bad. 
<laughs> okay, but here's the thing. Like I did. Okay, so Voight doesn't need to be on the roster. It's just that. Yeah, I, Kira's not a better alternative than him for okay. the role that it's, they have for him. You, any random person is also fine with me. I'll, I'm also good with that. I, I mean, Voight is better than uh, any random person. He's a lot better than any random person. He's not better than Hira, and so. By but the he, but property, he is in the role that <laughs> he is in the role that they have for him. He's going to whoever is in that role is largely going to be hitting against left-handed pitchers, and that's that's the role they're going to be inhabiting. So if you bring up Hira, he's more than a hundred points worse than uh, than Voit in career OPS against lefties. So like. He's worse than Voight at what the the role is calling for them to that's do. That's a dumb role to have Luke Voight in. But I, I, okay, that's fine. But like, <laughs> like that's the reality. Like, not, you know, Luke Voight's not playing just against lefties. Like that's not what's happening. No, he is. Um, He's mostly starting against lefties. He very seldom starts against a righty. He's very, very rarely starting against right. It's just he's been starting a lot this week because the Brewers on this road trip just saw what four four lefty starters. Coming into the game, he has more plate appearances against righties than lefties. Well, that had been because they had really not been playing many lefties. It was like this road trip that he started seeing more action and was starting a lot because they had just started seeing those guys. Like, they don't have as many starts against left-handed starters. They just haven't seen that many lefties, even though it feels like a lot because we see them all every time we see one it's like the offense disappears so but that's the next question we should probably get there hold on a second hold on a second i'm triple checking my that i'm on this year's splits right now for luke Voigt. and yeah you shouldn't use this year's splits to determine anything but you know what luke Voigt's <laughs> hitting against left-handed pitching this year yeah it's miserable do you know what it actually is yeah he has a he has a 143 ops yeah, so I think it's I think it's important to say the whole slash line actually. 71 71 71. Yeah, it's 0. 0.071.071.071. Yeah, that's nice. uh, that's amazing. And it's um, like two singles. It's 28 plate appearances. Yeah. <laughs> two singles um and uh yeah, no walks in 28 plate appearances. It's 20 and 16 it, yeah. strikeouts. Yeah, in 28 plate appearances. It's it's really bad. And like that's yeah. And then you look at his career numbers against lefties and it's uh he he has hit righties better than he has hit lefties, but yeah, his yeah, career yeah. splits against lefties. Uh he has a 7.34 OPS against lefties. What do you think Keston here is? This? 7.34 for Voigt. About like 5.63. I think it's in the sixes, but I don't have it open. I'm I'm pulling it up right now, so right. it's uh, it is. So what did I say? Seven thirty four for Void. I looked at this. That's why I said I knew it was over a hundred points. But Keston, it's six oh six for Keston. Six oh six. So you're talking yes. about about a hundred and thirty point career split in terms of uh, Void being better against lefties, which is the role they are largely going to inhabit on this roster. Uh, for the most part, like that's and that's what Luke, what whoever is in this spot, and I guess this is this is the point I really should make is, and we're gonna get into this in the next question. What they lack on this roster is a true other than Contreras. What they lack on this roster is a true like lefty murderer. They need a guy who maybe he can't do anything else. He can't play defense. He can't do anything else. But if he can put up like a 950 OPS against lefty uh, lefty pitchers, that guy would be wonderful to put in the middle of this lineup. And like 
Mike Brousseau is kind of that guy. Mike Brousseau is really good splits, and he's been dreadful against lefties so far. And that's actually a big part of what's going on here. It's like their lefty mashers, the guy that they brought in to be the, the right-handed bats that would face against lefties, um, like Voigt, like Brousseau, have both had really bad starts against lefties. Like they're off to awful starts. I mean, it so, has to be a thing. I don't even think you could bring on a lefty masher. He'll just turn into a righty masher instantly. <laughs> just like it's the curse of the Brewers. As soon as they hit the yeah, roster, it's a it's curse. Like... I bet it's something they're doing coaching wise. Like it's probably why they haven't fixed Yelich yet. Like just <laughs> not telling people to. It, it's consistent also have with a question the about that. So yeah, like by the way, Luke Floyd also is in the eight percent of sprint speed in baseball, and here is fifty-four. So that also helps a little bit. When you get on eighth base, percentile you know. is actually a lot higher than I would have expected. For, yeah, he seems for like a BP in, boy in the size. first or second. That is definitely yeah. true, but he's in the eighth, so he's still not going to be stealing any bases. And this is base steal year, so if you get on base, it's nice if you can do that. Yes, yeah. that would be helpful. They built entire ad campaigns around Dan Vogelbach stealing bases now, so um, <laughs> all right, that's enough Luke White talk. Jay Google, second question here, Paul. Why do the Brewers still have issues versus left-handed pitching? It's only been like five <laughs> years. Why can't they hit them? Uh, I mean, it's it's inexplicable, frankly. <laughs> but it's probably at least somewhat approach-based. It probably is reflecting a bit of a preference for spray hitting, I would guess at this point, just based on watching everybody hit. But I, I got nothing, man. It's really weird. Nobody else is like this. Uh, and like we were joking about about Brasso, but uh, he has a 970 OPS against righties this year mm-hmm. and a 502 against lefties. Like that's, that's ridiculous. Hell? That's not supposed to happen. So uh, it's one of those things where like fluky stuff happens. Weird coincidences happen. Small sample sizes happen. But at some point, it's a thing you're doing on purpose. And like I think we are well into this is a thing you're doing on purpose territory, and that maybe they should reevaluate how they're having guys approach hitting because it's uh, making for it's making it hard to construct lineups properly at this point. <laughs> okay, so I think we have to differentiate between a couple different things here. One, they do have some everyday players who have reverse platoon splits, and that's not really a problem. Actually, no, it, that's fine. It's a you're good right. thing. Yeah, Brian Anderson and uh, Willie Adamas both have reverse platoon splits. And when you're playing every day, two-thirds of the pitchers in the major leagues are right-handed. But so, I think you are – so this you should continue. But I think this is perhaps working around to what the problem might be. Yes, but, but it do is. Continue. It is. That's where I'm going with it. I think yeah. we're heading in the same direction here. So that is – part of it so they have selected some of these guys to be everyday players and i think that makes actually a lot of sense because again more pitchers are right-handed than they are left-handed by a substantial margin so having an everyday shortstop who's a great defender who happens to hit right-handers better than he hits left-handers is a good thing like that's that's just good i there's no problem there um it's a little bit more of a problem when you have uh, and again, Anderson fine also because he's playing pretty much every day. Uh, it's a it's more of a problem when you have like Luke Voigt. Though Luke Voigt again, his on uh, his his OPS was still averageish to slightly above against lefties. He's not a bad hitter against lefties normally. Um, the way here is here's a bad hitter against lefties. Voigt's just you know he has reverse platoon splits, but they're not like hugely detrimental. 
Um, that's not a huge problem, except if you're bringing him in to primarily hit against lefties, which is his role on this team, which is what we were just kind of getting at. His primary role is to play against lefties. You would rather see, and, and he doesn't add much in terms of other things. You would rather see somebody who actually truly does mash lefties, somebody who's putting up a 900 plus OPS and a guy that you could stick in the middle of the order. And again, that's supposed to be Berceau. Uh, he is off to a weird start, but that's that's truly fluky in his case. He is a lefty matcher. Is He's it? certified. <laughs> I no, mean, yes, look at look at is. his career. He I'm, I am well yeah. aware of what his career is, but I think uh, we shouldn't discount that the Brewers do stuff to people to make this happen. Yeah, there might be. Eh, I don't know. So what I thought you were working around to Ryan is that. It is beneficial to have your everyday players generally better against righties because there are more righties and the Brewers are a smart organization. And I do just wonder if that's the approach they take on hitting and if it has some detrimental effects when you have guys that are supposed to be lefty specialists come onto the team and your hitting coaches teaching not crush opposite pit, field pitching, but to do something else instead, um, because it seems to happen a lot regularly so i think that might legitimately be a problem for them yeah and maybe there is room for them to make some adjustments and make some changes there i think the other thing is early in the season it makes sense to collect guys who are going to be good like if you because one of the roles luke voigt fills on this team yes his current roster role is to hit a lot against lefties but he's also like the backup first baseman and the backup dh right and so if Luke Voigt all of a sudden had to be pressed into service as an everyday player because injuries to Rowdy or Jesse Winker happened, then that would give him a uh, that would this would work in that role, right? Like for that role, it would be OK. Whereas if towards the middle of the season, once you start looking at trade deadline acquisitions, it makes more sense at that point to say, okay, we definitely need somebody who can just beat the hell out of uh, left-handed pitching, and we need to go out and get that guy. And I actually looked this up and was kind of paying attention to it a bit this week. Um, we just faced a guy that very likely, well, you never know with the Rockies, but uh, should be on the trade block this summer if the Rockies yeah. aren't idiots, which they are. They um, are so. it, but that's CJ Crone. CJ Crone actually is a lefty masher and could be available at the deadline this year. And if you could swap out CJ Crone instead of Luke Voigt right now, I would do it in a heartbeat. But that might take a little bit of time. I don't know who else is out there. Who else is a, just a total lefty masher? Um, I, off the top of my head, I don't know. I just it's a hard think, thing to search. So yeah, I think I think back though. Remember when the Brewers had all those right-handed hitters who all had the same flaw, which was the slider low and away and the sinker, like, and it was very easy to get the platoon advantage on them, and the Cardinals just exploited it ruthlessly for like, you know, that entire time we had Hart, Weeks, Braun, yeah. like Octavio Dotel was the mm -hmm. kryptonite, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, it was it was made to do that to the Brewers. And so you look at situations like that with with platoon splits and you go, they're not in a bad word. I would rather have this problem that the Brewers have than that problem, because that problem is a lot harder to solve than what this problem is. Uh, I think you can do this with some lefty mashers. And I think that 
if people are patient, Mike Brousseau is going to start hitting lefties because he has a long track record of having done that. <laughs> I think you're going to see more le- more power from William Contreras because he has you know a reasonable track record of doing that. But I think they are short at least one, if not two, lefty mashing bats for the middle of this order. And so that's kind of the number one thing at the top of my shopping list right now for the Brewers is like you need a legitimate lefty mashing bat. Yeah, that's an obvious flaw they need to fix. Can't can't argue with that. I would I would just settle for Mike Brasso not being a total butcher at third base too because mm-hmm. he's been brutal there too on top of not hitting lefties. Yeah, he looks like Braun over there. It's not good. No, no. Okay. Uh, real quick, another question from Mount Doom ninety eight because uh, it came up earlier. Uh, how soon can Paul implement his fix Yelich plan? As soon as they call. Maybe I can fix some other guys too. I'm starting starting to get a big head about this with the pl- platoon split thing. Honestly, like uh, just I'll book a whole week. Send me out a row of guys. We'll get them fixed up good. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it, he has pulled the ball a little bit more lately down the line. So maybe there's some concerted effort there, but still still looks pretty brutal. So yeah, have me in. Please do it. I'll I'll do it. I'll I'll help. Can't hurt. Impossible. Honestly. Well, we got a couple homers out of him this weekend or this week, right? Like he actually yep. he hit one in Colorado and he hit one in San Francisco, I think. Yes, were so. those bold? They were not. They were <laughs> no one was to dead center, and I I asked and like was like no, it was like pretty much to dead center, uh, yeah. though actually just slightly to the left. It's not pulled anyway. Like center is its own thing. Like yes, <laughs> yeah. For it to be pulled, it basically needs to be from where the visiting dugout or the visiting bullpen is in. Uh, Amfam Field, like you need to be in that bullpen or to the right of it for it to yeah. be pulled. Like that's that's where pulling starts. Anything that's hit to that little uh, that little extra outfield space, out in, anything in there that's not pulled. That's yep, exactly. And he did. He pulled a single and he hit another ball hard, but they were grounders slash line dry low liners. So still, still the Yelich not elevating the ball problem on pulling the ball, which is also a problem. <sighs> but yeah. It, I, they, the Brewers are on notice at this point. They can get in touch with me if they need to. And there's not, <laughs> nothing more I can do about this. He he did hit one well uh, in San Francisco on Sunday. But uh, I'll settle for William Contreras starting to pull pitches, too. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's been nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's get to our last uh, Patreon question of the week. Comes from Andrew S., who is asking... What do you think the Brewers' plan for the rotation is once Woody, Burns, Lauer, Hauser are all probably gone? Rely on farm system, trades, free agency, or a mixture of all three? Uh, let's start with you, Ryan. How, how do you see the future of the rotation looking like, say, three years down the line? Well, it, no, it's got to be all three. It's going to be all three. And it might also be a fourth thing, which would be re-signing one of them. Um, we'll yeah. see whether or not that happens uh it's going to be hard obviously for burns next to impossible um woodruff i still think there's a chance that the health stuff just keeps getting in the way of that right like that has to be scaring them somewhat like the fact that he keeps having health issues has to be scaring them off lauer and hauser that's all going to be like well would they sign for a really low price and then you know maybe that works uh 
I think most people don't necessarily want to see them around long term. They'd rather move on. And the Brewers probably would just go through and continue to, uh, to turn and burn. Um, but no, some of this is probably going to be trades. Uh, if you end up trading Corbin Burns, say, after this year, then that would hopefully likely include somebody who could bitch as a starter. Not necessarily. It doesn't have to, but... Um, they also just make enough trades in general. They're they're kind of constantly making trades, especially in the off season, where you could see them bringing in somebody you know of that level. Ideally, you'd like to see as much of it as possible come from the farm system, right? That's the cheapest way to do it. Um, it's there's there's an efficiency to it. You can sort of program the guys the way you want them in the minors that way. But right now, after having you know a, a run where they were just really just producing a lot of starting pitching it's been a minute since they've done that and I think that you know like on this week's minor league extra we talked about Gosser a little bit and James is skeptical that he's anywhere near being a major league starter at this point he thinks he's probably a major league pitcher at some point this year but being able to turn over a lineup three times and do that efficiently he's skeptical about it and I am too and then you have other guys. There are there are interesting. The Brewers have a number of interesting pitchers, um, from Carlos Rodriguez to Wozner, who we talked about this week, to Jacob Mizorowski, who we talked about this week. They have a lot of guys in the farm system that are potentially interesting, but none of them look like, you know, even say what I don't know, uh, like Aaron Ashby looked like coming up, and so. I I think that the hope still is that you would have Freddie Peralta around because he is locked in and you would have maybe Ashby if he can get healthy, though that's, you know, a huge question mark at this point. Um, so probably what they're going to do is they're going to do a lot of uh, of of shuffling through and, and working through um, like low cost options and seeing what's available out there uh, and try to, to find guys, you know, sort of in the Wade Miley mold and yeah. you can do that, but there's a ceiling on that, right? There absolutely is. And I was going to say there'll probably be a more, a higher percentage of the Wade Miley's than we're used to, at least for a little bit. And there is a ceiling on that. And that ceiling is also likely to be exacerbated by council not being here. Uh, and the <laughs> brewers squeeze every ounce of pitcher out of every out of everybody just by through use of their bullpen and um, the hits to the starting rotation make that more difficult council not being here I mean you may get someone who's philosophically similar uh, who takes notes from upstairs and still does that but it's likely to be a little bit worse council is an outstanding manager and you're not as like you're likely to get a worse manager after this kind of no matter what um, so worse pitching potentially plus worse manager might make it make, might make it tricky. And uh, you might not have as much luck with the Miley's of the world as you are right now and in the past going forward too. So it's uh, not great. How heavily would you bet on council not being the manager at this point? A lot, hugely. I would put lots of money on that uh, for even odds. For next year? Yeah, for next year. So he is he is done as the Brewers manager after this year. You would put substantial amounts of money on that. Yes, I would. Hmm. hmm. You think he's coming back? I I don't even think he looks like he wants to be there this year. He looks like he never looks it, like he it, wants it, to be there. He looks. <laughs> we've talked about this endlessly. He always looks like he's you know in the midst of uh, like, in pain. Yeah, like yeah. he's having his teeth pulled in the middle of every game. Like torment. 
And I think that if he does go, it's probably the the whole talk about like catching his kids playing baseball yeah. at this point because they're at that age where he could yeah. potentially want to do that. Um, I think that's that's more of a possibility than him just saying like I want to go manage the Yankees. Um, that seems more far fetched. I guess the the big he might he's probably going upstairs somewhere and not managing for a bit person. If he, well, if he does that, he could do it as a consultant and then not have to like worry about the day to day grind of of you know being a manager and taking like a sabbatical. If he could kick upstairs and do that, uh, there are people that have said that for a long time. Nick Sattel has said that forever that he thinks he's going to do that at some point. That's never been my thing. I never okay. have assumed that that was. I think it's possible, but I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't like put money on it or anything. But no, I think that I. I find it hard to believe that he's actually going to walk away, but maybe maybe this is like I've, I've been saying for years. He looks like the job just kills him, and maybe he does need a break from it. And I could see like him doing a thing where he leaves for like three years, and then like the moment is right for him to jump back in again. I could see him doing like a a split uh, thing, seeing him go to another team right now. That seems more far fetched, right? Like if he does leave, if he's not managing this year, then are you more than fifty percent he's managing someplace else next year, or do you think he's not managing anywhere next well, year? His contract's up, right? Like yes. This, is, yes. this is it. He's not so mm-hmm. I mean, I I think more than anything, he's I don't think he'll be the manager for the Brewers next year. As to what he'll be doing, I don't know and don't really care that much. I actually think he, there's a good chance he will be with a different organization. There's lots of outgoing brewer people next year he might be interested in working with. Um, <laughs> but more, more than anything, I don't think he'll be managing the team. If, if he was going to be managing the team next year, I think he would have a contract already. And uh, leaving this open is, I think, saying plenty to what his intentions are. Yeah, I mean, he clearly has the option at any time to get a new contract the team would give him one and he yes. has chosen not to do that and that does Correct. speak volumes though that could also be a number of it could be leverage it could be him trying to get the outcomes he wants at the trade deadline this year so i guess i've been holding on to that probably foolishly as like i just hope he's using this as leverage that would be galaxy brand stuff to not re up your contract as manager to force the front office's hand to make trades that you (laughs) hypothetically want them to make that they haven't made in the past it's a bit of a weird situation in that he has like mark antanasio has said they want him back as manager and would give him the contract today if he wanted it so that does give him a lot of leverage right that does sure (laughs) mark like he has a lot of leverage and i do I am always skeptical of managers having more power than the GM. I do not like that situation. It tends to work poorly in the modern game because managers with more power than the GM, that's Tony LaRusso with uh, Mozilliak in uh, St. Louis, and that often was problematic. Like that's, Socha in L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I tend not to like that situation. Yeah, but, that, I agree that's bad. But I just don't think it's going to pop up here. Well, but for counsel... I I would be less worried about it than I would mostly because I think Council's a very, very smart baseball mind in his own right and is much less inclined to the sort of dumb things that others would do. So I would care less about it in his 
case, but I, it's still not ideal. It's still not what I want. All right. Before we go this week, one Twitter question to get to uh, comes from Jeepers five five two five two four two seven on Twitter, uh, asking. I was told repeatedly last year the Brewers quote knew something about Josh Hader when they traded him. What exactly did they know? And I will just say right now, I promise that we added this before he blew the save on Sunday night baseball, <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, I put this in. Uh, and then we were watching, and I did not see uh, the home run that he gave up. But he he did the Josh Hader thing, which is he gave up a home run. So you know that's we've all seen that plenty of times from Josh Hader when he gives up a save. It's often uh, because he gave up a home run. I was thinking about this this weekend because remember the last time we were in San Francisco, and that Friday night game that was just that was like the beginning of the Josh Hader troubles. Like that really was like that was the moment where it really became clear that like something was drastically wrong with him, which again was why they traded him. Like they, there was something wrong with him last summer and it was, it started before he left and it continued after he left and he got it somewhat straightened out. But if you want like what is actually going on with hater here and want to like see what the, the issue is, his strikeout rate has been dropping and it, started really like last year with the Brewers he was kind of his normal self but it it did tail off a little bit towards the end of his time here Um, I need the strikeout percentage and I don't have that screen up on fan graphs I had it there it is okay k percent last year um, with the Brewers he was at 41 percent his highs when he was at his best in 2018 2019 he was at like 47 percent Okay, 47, 48%. He was pushing almost 50% uh, strikeouts. And then in 2020, it dipped, but that was, you know, the short season. That was the COVID year. Um, in 2021, it was back up to 45%. And then last year with the Brewers, it dipped to 41%. When he got to the Padres, he was at 28% strikeouts. This year, he's at 36% strikeout rate. Um, and as... Josh, we all know what Josh Hader is. He heavily, heavily relies on swinging and missing, especially at the edge of the the zone, really up above the zone is like a big part of his game. And he isn't doing that as efficiently as he used to. So far this year, um, looking at the fan graphs, up to date numbers here, uh, 16 innings pitched in 2023, and he is at a 1.13 ERA. So looking pretty good. Um, the FIP is 280 and the XFIP is three, uh, 397. So considerably more wiggle room there um, on the uptrend. Uh, so far, it this was, James, was this his first blown save? Yes, it was. It was. Yeah, so this is his first blown save. He has 11 saves and one blown save so far. Uh, we were talking about this before you jumped on, Paul. Like, this is the Josh Hader thing. April and May almost always go really, really well for him. And then sometime in June or July, there's usually a bump. And then later in the year, there's also generally a bump, too. There's something something kind of hits him. He gets into one of those runs where, like, everybody's teeing off on him. Remember that Marlin series where, like, I think Brian Anderson hit two home runs off of him in that series. Like, the, he gets into those times where he just is really easy to hit home runs off of and it's because josh Hader is sort of an extreme profile guy he has 
uh, when he's going well, it goes really, really well. But when he's just a little bit off, um, he can become a home run machine. And the walk rate can be, you know, high-ish. And that can put him in, you know, sometimes that's not a problem. If he's striking a bunch of people out, that's not a problem. If he starts giving up home runs, that walk rate becomes a pretty big problem pretty quick. So to answer your completely uh, <laughs> uh, genuine question, that's that's the answer. That's his he's not quite the pitcher that he was before um for most of his time with the brewers sure to add on though um i think a lot of our speculation last year was when he started to lose it that he might be losing it pretty bad possibly mm-hmm. uh and, and that the brewers maybe knew that something more that he would actually be you know kind of done and that extreme profile lends itself to somebody who could potentially be done and he hasn't been. He's been nails this year uh, outside of today. So they probably were wrong about that because he's been his old Josh Hader self, warts and all, so far this year. And they likely still could have leveraged him to be a good pitcher if he was still on the team. Though he, you know, thought as he's always been a ticking time bomb. At some point, that stops being true. And uh, maybe mm-hmm. has. But but yeah, they, they were, I think, incorrect in their assessment that he would be irrevocably broken. He's been fine this year and his normal Hader self. Well, they didn't necessarily assess that he was irrevocably broken, but that there was some danger of it, right? Yeah. And that they were getting to the end of their control of him anyway, that like he was going to be headed to free agency after this year, and there was no way they were going to pay full Josh. They were going to give him the Edwin Diaz oh, yeah. contract. They're not paying that guy. Absolutely. Like they're not going to give like the for a team in the Brewers position to tie up, you know, $20 million a year for a closer for five years, which is, you know, where he was trending. And we'll see what he gets. It's He's going to be a fascinating uh, free agency case, right? Like, a lot of it is still yet to be written. It, a lot of it depends on what he looks like this year. But, you know, there's a very real chance that, like, some team gives Josh Hader the Edwin Diaz contract and they're left holding a significant uh, problem there for a long time and they just don't get much out of him. There's also a chance that he figures out a new trick, right? Like that he goes and, and develops something else and figures another way to get outs. But that that question always becomes, how much do you want to bet that a guy's going to do it until you see it, right? Yeah. Especially for a guy who doesn't have a history of having done it. That's the, the thing. Like if a guy is constantly tinkering and finding new ways, like say Corbin Burns, if a guy's constantly tinkering and, and you know shelving a pitch, adding a pitch, doing stuff, I think you could have a little bit more confidence that he's going to be willing and able to make another adjustment. If a, if a guy has a history of making adjustments, you do that. So far, we've really just seen this one version of Josh Hader, right? It's the he's the fastball slider guy, the fastball high and up in the zone and up above the zone, and uh, the the sweeping um, just disastrous slider. That will just if if you get to two strikes with Josh Hader, that slider is going to murder you. Like it'll just you you really don't have much of a chance. Does he have another thing he can go to? We don't know because we've never seen it. He's never really had to, but at some point he might you know probably need to. So it all becomes a question of how long can a guy extend their career? And like this has been the question like with Craig Kimbrell was like how willing was Craig Kimbrell really to make adjustments? And when he didn't. And because remember when Craig Kimbrell came up, he had that really nasty, huge velocity fastball that was really hard for anybody to hit. 
uh, he hasn't had that pitch in a while, and it, he's been pretty mediocre since he stopped having that pitch. So it it comes sort of a question of like, what is a guy willing to do, and what are they willing to adjust to? But yeah, I mean, your point is well taken that like last year they they were faced with a situation where they had uh, two days to the trade deadline. It was made the day before the trade deadline. They had to make an assessment of how much they thought they could fix him versus what they were getting back in that trade. And they decided to take the trade instead of trying to fix him. Mm-hmm. Like that was the decision that they made. And all the other things that went along with that. I mean, we've talked this to death, like, yep. but like the, all the other things that go along with that, um, you know, Hader was really bad after the trade for the first month. Like, really, really bad. Like, worse than he was before the yeah, trade. Yeah, he was. So, from that perspective, like, it took time for the Padres to get him back on track. And, like I said, he, he has not been striking out batters at the rates that he did with the Brewers in his prime since 2021. He has been on a decline since then, and it's a pretty, like, right now, he's, he's well down from that peak. So what does that mean for him long term? I don't know. Uh, some of it is is captured. And some of it is he's being helped by being in San Diego, right? That's a good place to pitch if you're a, a fly ball pitcher. <laughs> if you're Josh Hader, San Diego is a good place to be because that's what Hader's always bet is a fly ball pitcher when guys put it in play. So mm-hmm. that helps. Yep. So we'll see where he ends up. But uh, like, it's a fascinating situation. It's a it, it really is. But like. It's also, you know, do you want to be holding the hot potato when, you know, the time runs out? No, (laughs) especially if you have to pay for it. All right. That'll do it for questions this week. Thanks to everybody who sent one in. As a reminder, if you sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, two bucks a month, you get question priority every week. Uh, If you are not a patron, you can still... Go and support us in another way. Go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, wherever you listen to us. Leave a rating and review. As a reminder, uh, Paul will read any review for five stars on Apple Podcasts if you leave one there. And while you are there, please be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Hopefully a better week for the Brewers coming <laughs> up. Uh, back home to face the Dodgers and the Royals over the next weekend so uh hopefully more than one week one win in the next week for the brewers that would be great i would very much like that i think everybody else would too uh but hey as we mentioned they're going home just a half game out of first place in the nl central still so we will see what unfolds and we will break it all down here next week on milwaukee have a good one everybody.